Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 14, The Unforgivable Curses, foreboding chapter title. And we have Anna back with us. Oh, hello. Not foreboding, I promise. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, uh, it's an interesting chapter. I think it caught both of our attention probably the first time we read it, and probably the 30-odd times that we read it. Oh my god, yeah, but it. no matter how many times I read it, I forget how much it makes me cry. Yeah. It's, uh, what, are you saying there's some trauma with the unforgivable curses? Oh, you know, just a bit. Maybe just a tad. It's no a big deal. Obviously, a lot of this chapter takes place in the Defense Against, uh, the, Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom. Uh, a couple other things that happen. Uh, we get our introduction to SPEW. Yes, S-P-E-W. Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare. Woo! They have a manifesto. I I love that she uses that word. <laughs> Manifesto? Yes. Uh, yes, and she bullies pressure, peer pressures? Peer pressures. Oh, absolutely. There uh, was no saying no. Harry and Ron into pay, paying for the yes. actual badges. Two sickles. And such. Uh, so uh, we get some Hedwig uh, mention because she returns with a letter from Sirius. She's not given nearly enough attention. She is not. Uh, I mean, really, she really isn't. That was a long, (laughs) that was a very long journey. So there's a couple of different things going on in this chapter. I think where we need to start is the Defense Against the Dark Arts side of this. And to start there, we do get a Lupin mention uh, in that Mad-Eye opens his class up with how Lupin left a note for him about... Because Lupin was a good teacher! Lupin's a great teacher. And I like how Moody is just like, seems like you got that covered. Seems like you did the dark creature thing and you're all set on that. Which, I don't know if he knows a lot about Remus Lupin or whatever, but he seems to just trust that Lupin is like, yeah, Lupin covered it. We're good. No, I mean, like, you I know what I mean? I feel like you'd have to if you're taking over from a teacher. I guess. I, I don't know. I just like, wow, he's just... I'm like, all right, you know that. Moving on. <laughs> like, all right, don't have to do that again. He got it. All right. It also made me just question, like, <laughs> Lupin must have left this note for, like, every year of level. because he was a good teacher. Which then made me think, like, I wonder what Lupin's fifth, sixth, and seventh year classes must have been like. That must have been, like, the coolest things ever, right? Oh, my God, yeah. Like, when I you get to advanced. I think that they would be kind of similar to. Like, dark creatures? Or, no, no, or no, no. Like... I think kind of similar to, like, what Moody's doing. Like, maybe not, like, you know... Unforgivable <laughs> curses? Spiders. Well, no, I think he would have to teach the unforgivable curses. Maybe not in the exact same manner. But I would think that there would still be a lot of... He was a very hands-on professor, Lupin was. So I would imagine it would be not totally just... far off from what Moody's does. Just... But he would have kept it... 
to the sixth and seventh years. Like what sure. Moody is doing with fourth years, Lupin would have done with sixth and seventh years. Well, Moody does mention like unforgivable curses aren't supposed to be taught until at least sixth year. Right. Which is a fascinating thought to even venture in, in in itself. But I just got down a rabbit hole of like, I would love to just sit in on a Lupin oh, yeah. sixth or seventh year class and just... I would sit in on any uh, Lupin lesson that you would let me. I also, I'm imagining like Lupin doing like a really advanced like Defense Against the Dark Arts curses and stuff like that, sixth and seventh. And then I'm just imagining like his first year level class is just like, Hey guys, so magic. <laughs> um, here's what magic is. You know, like, like what do you teach in a first year Defense Against the Dark Arts class? Like, that's getting in my head. I know. Especially Lupin and his personality, I'd just be like, okay, kids, so <laughs> uh, magic with a wand. You're acting <laughs> like they're like kindergartners. That's what I'm picturing in my head. Is exactly that, like a picture book? Like he just like flips through a picture Again, book? I would happily sit in on that class. <laughs> they all sit in a semicircle around him as he's like... He's got one of those carpets. It's like a picture book, but it also like pops out. It's like a 3D... I don't know. I'm, this is where my head goes. I digress. So we get to Moody actually teaching, and he wants to teach about curses, which I think is a really cool idea, despite the curses that he's getting into, not really supposed to be taught until sixth year and we get into the unforgivable curses so obviously you have the imperious curse uh which is total control uh gave ministry magic trouble after um the first wizarding war with voldy like who was imperious who was free will mm -hmm. a lot of problems you have the cruciatus curse which is straight up torture and then you have uh, the Killing Curse, which kills. <laughs> so it's very, very aptly named. It just is what it is. All of which will earn you a one-way ticket to a life sentence in Azkaban. So uh, what are your kind of thoughts on just <laughs> Moody opening up <laughs> with Unforgivable Curses? Um, it does seem kind of intense to begin there. I mean, I feel like there are curses that he could have started with that they probably do. I feel like they're not going to spend the entire year on the three unforgivable curses. You feel like that's a main event portion? Yeah. Like, I feel like maybe get a feel for your students before you just jump right in there. But, I mean, it's definitely a way to make them respect you and really like you. I don't know if this is going to be a spoiler thought, but do you think... the People who he has in his class, specifically, give him that little nudge to be like, no, let's do this. So, I have a lot of <laughs> things I want to say about that, but they're all very spoilery. Fair enough. What I will... Side note, I, speaking of kids in his class, mm -hmm. I like him going down the roll call, and then like him with his magical yeah. eye, like looking at everybody... And then he's like writing something on the board or something like that. And he's like, put that away, Miss Brown, or something like that. It is lavender. And he's looking like through the back of his head. Yep. And Harry's just like almost taking note. Like I imagine Harry taking note in a notebook. It's like, magical eye. Check. <laughs> magical eye can apparently see through back of head. Check. There's another one that you Magical can eye see. can see through wooden what? desk. Yes. Check. <laughs> and he's just like listing all of these off in his head. It's great. Oh, that's very hairy. 
it's it's helpful for us, the reader. But I just imagine him like in his notebook as he's taking notes. Can do this. Can do this. <laughs> it's like in the Sorcerer's Stone movie when Snape is giving his big speech and they show adorable little eleven-year-old Daniel Radcliffe yes, like exactly. taking his notes of stop or death. It's like, what kind of notes? Are and these? like really specific penmanship. Yeah. With like the period or like with the exclamation <laughs> point. I think through the back of his head would have gotten an exclamation point. <laughs> Can see through wood. Check. Yes. Well, he's like, okay, who knows what a cur- what a curse might be that would get you a lifetime sentence in Azkaban? And as kids raise their hand, Ron is the first one with the uh-huh. Imperius curse. Then he pulls out his spider from a jar. Poor Ron. And yeah, <laughs> Ron struggles and. He does the Imperius Curse, the Imperio, on the spider, and then makes it do effectively a tap dance. A couple other things and a tap dance. Mm -hmm. And kids start laughing in the classroom, because it is an absurd scene to watch a spider tap dance. And then he cuts across them with like this, think that's funny. What if I did this to you? And you had no idea what you were doing, or what I could make you do, and like, I think Harry notes silence immediately. Mm-hmm. So Moody is a really great teacher. Like, is he maybe a tad too intense showing this all to fourth years? Yes. Is it semi-questionable that he's performing these unforgivable curses? Like he's actually performing them? Yeah, that's a little suspect. But is he teaching important lessons to these kids? Like with one sentence, he got these kids to realize the extreme seriousness of the Imperius Which is not easy to do in a room full of kids. Yeah, for sure. Like, I was going to ask you later, like, which of the three unforgivable curses do you think is the worst? Oh, gosh. And we can talk about it more in depth. But I, I think about it a lot. And a lot of times I end up coming back to the Imperius Curse. I feel like people always kind of think that's like, the least bad of the three and to me like the whole idea that like the things you literally have no control over what could happen to you what you could do to others like that it's just i can't imagine it my gut reaction to that question is imperious curse would would be my uh worse because i think as a human being you get so used to the idea that you don't even really acknowledge that it's a thing anymore and you don't think of it ever but the idea of free will mm-hmm. is everything yeah. to you to who a human being is your right to make a choice your right to say whatever you want and and we're speaking as americans too and a lot of these rights are in our you know mm-hmm. constitution and right. And we recognize that a lot of places around the world, free will is an illusion as yeah, much as it is. Absolutely. Where you don't have the freedom to say things and you don't have the freedom to make choices. You have the freedom to dress how you want to dress. Exactly. So, you know, there is that caveat to it. But uh, for our purposes, um, you have that choice and that freedom uh, to engage someone to run away from someone to do a lot of different things so to take that away is a 
very scary thought. And I think for anyone who has had free will taken from them, it's the worst uh, to not be in control of your body, your mind, anything. It's scary. Terrifying. Uh, so I think that one, not to say that obviously we can get into the spoiler section and the mm-hmm. broad yes. overview of how these spells impact the wizarding world. Right. But Cruciatus Curse obviously comes with its own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, if torture doesn't isn't enough to make you like scared, then there's something probably wrong with you. Probably. And obviously, Killing Curse is the most bluntly obvious. <laughs> Life just gets taken from you. So, well, there's no even way to like block it or do yeah. So that presents its own scary things. And when we get to the spoiler section, we can kind of get into those three in the broader wizarding world. Um, But yeah, my gut reaction is Imperius Curse. So I don't know if that surprised you or not. It does surprise me. I mean, it makes me feel kind of good, though, because I literally thought I was one of the only people who thought it was the worst. It's nice to know after knowing you for so long, (laughs) it still throws a surprise (laughs) in your direction. Uh, and so, so long speaking, like talking Harry Potter, it's interesting. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, Ron <laughs> says the Imperius Curse, and Moody has that moment where he shuts the class up immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Neville raise his hand, and I think Harry was the one to note that he was mildly surprised that Neville even raised his hand. He said that normally herbology is the only subject he willingly volunteers information on. Yep. And he volunteered the Cruciatus Curse, which stunning if you know our opening, <laughs> and uh, you'll get you'll get some of that. Um, but Moody then takes a uh, uh, spider out, and to, to Ron's dismay, enlarges it. So it's not you, really necessary. So you can see the spider twitching and contracting in odd, uh, unfortunate ways. And and then Hermione offers uh, the Avada Kedavra, the killing curse, uh, which takes another spider out, kills it uh, with a blinding green, green light. light. Um, and then he has that dramatic line of like the the no blocking yeah. and anything like that. And he's like, only one person is known to have survived this, and he's sitting right in front of me. Why would you Stairs. do that to a yeah? Seriously, why <laughs> like, would you do that to a teenage boy? That's terrible. But anyway, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure the students aren't. Thick enough to not put two and two together there, but yeah, that's just like literally spotlight yeah. right on the situation. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if that after that buildup and all of coming from Moody, I don't know what students then think of because that creates a certain type of image mm-hmm. of Harry. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder what students outside of our trio, if we can out- go outside of that little bubble that we get, that narration bubble, and go to like. Dean or Seamus or one of the other students and just be like, what are they thinking of Harry at that moment? I would like to know. I'll go a step further. Say, uh, presumably, Moody gives the same lesson to all of his fourth years. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he in Ravenclaw saying, oh, and there's only one person to know to survive the killing curse. You go to school with him. Ravenclaws are certainly going to figure it out without even... Sure. Harry to be sitting there, Moody staring at him. So then, like, what are people who don't even know Harry as well as his fellow Gryffindors thinking? Like, it's just, yeah. You know know. what just popped into my head? Hmm. After I go on that long-winded monologue of, I wonder what Lupin would teach seventh years or first years. What what is Moody teaching his seventh years right now? (laughs) (laughs) Like, 
what on earth is he he's teaching them? Putting the Cruciatus curse on them. Like, is he just killing them? Look randomly. Do we know that? Okay, I'm pretty sure he's not killing like, them. What could he pretty possibly... sure even Dumbledore would have a problem with that. <laughs> like, but seriously though, if he's teaching fourth years unforgivable curses, where do you? Where's the up from there? Like, you know what I mean? Um, he's teaching them how to perform them. Is he bringing in like a real werewolf to just attack sixth years and just be like? Figure this out. <laughs> like, I think he's setting up the spiders and he's having them perform a bada cadaver on the spiders. Maybe he's taking them into field trips in the Forbidden Forest and just be like, you're on your own. Come back, maybe. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> just drop them in the middle and <laughs> make a game of Survivor. Like their you're own either hung- coming back or you're not. Like, maybe this was the first Hunger Games. It's him just setting this up <laughs> in the Forbidden Forest and just being like... Whoever comes back alive gets the A. Constant vigilance! <laughs> I was wondering when the first constant vigilance was going to be brought up, and there it was. It's been in my mind a few times. <laughs> Just randomly screaming it out? Yes. Seriously, though, I have no idea what he probably teaches of class. Yeah, I don't know. I want to see it. Unless this is, this is just his, like, welcome to Mad-Eye Moody, and he gave this exact same lesson to every single... He even gave it to, like, the first years. <laughs> Probably. There's no pretty picture books and rugs like Remus would have provided. It's just constant vigilance. Those poor... Welcome to the wizarding world, muggle-born children. Here's some curses for you. Those poor 11-year-old children. (laughs) I could just, like, just imagine, like, little Johnny going to his seat, and then out of nowhere, like, from behind, constant vigilance. And, like... What do you think happens to Dennis Creevy? (laughs) He probably jumps like three feet off of his seat. Oh my gosh. Okay, well that was a fun side. <laughs> I don't know if you have any notes on Spew at the moment, or if you want to save that for later chapters. Just manifesto. Just manifesto. Um, so we get Hedwig returning with Sirius's note. And uh, quote-unquote rumors have reached Sirius. Yeah. And this is... Harry's scar hurting is just one in a series of things that he has heard about that has concerned him enough that he's making his way back to uh, the UK. Okay. I have questions on all of this. But also, here's a pure Harry being an idiot moment. That literally he reads the words, this is one of a series of events (laughs) that I've heard about. And he immediately thinks, it's me, I'm the only thing. Well, he is the final straw that makes Sirius decide to come back. Come on, he's 14 years old. I sympathize with him here. I probably would have had the exact same reaction as Harry. No, I would have been curious about, like, what other series of events? Well, and Ron even says, like, what sort of rumors are reaching him? Like, how? Why? Yes. Like, what context does he have as exactly. he's laying on the beach with his giant toucan coming in? Exactly my questions about this whole thing. Like, who is he talking to? Like, I don't I don't know. Is he in conversation with Dumbledore? Yes, it's Lupin. I would assume Lupin. Yeah. I would assume that they've been corresponding they need to back build their relationship back up. Is he in conversation with Dumbledore? Because Dumbledore is one of the only few people that know that Sirius is innocent and a free agent. Right. So I would assume those. I feel like those are literally the, the only, only two, two people. Options. Yeah. I don't know how much Dumbledore has put, unless it's a very like encrypted, like note that he's sending Sirius. I can't imagine he's telling him anything too crazy. I could definitely imagine Wolfstar having their own language that nobody else knows. Well, anybody still living still knows. 
Fair enough. I, I can imagine Lupin just corresponding fairly normally, all things considered. Um, but I don't know what... We know Snivellus isn't giving him any info. But then that would beg the question of, you know, Dumbledore's got his ear to the ground on everything. Yes. What's Lupin doing at this point in time that he's able to relay rumors that might concern Sirius? I don't know. I don't know. It's harder for him to find a job. Maybe exactly. he's doing some shady, shady stuff. Maybe. That gets him some info. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's... It's an interesting letter from Sirius. And I feel like it's mostly just us reading into it and it's a plot device to get him back in the UK. Probably. And, and but then why do you even put like a series? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, there was oh, a... wait. I wanted to bring this up. Uh oh. Ron is wondering what signs Bertha Jorgens. That's all I have to say. Oh, I have, did not prepare a Bertha Jorkins <laughs> segment today, and I'm regretting that now, but... It's okay. Yes, I... Okay. <laughs> I will give you that that is definitely one of the things that Sirius is hearing about. See? Bertha is important. <laughs> <laughs> I am giving you that that's one of the things he's hearing about. It's just interesting, like, from where is he hearing that? Or is he just getting Daily Profits delivered to him, and he's reading Rita Skeeter articles? He's probably not getting del them delivered to him, but I'm sure it's easy enough for him to... Steal some. Yep. Mate would know that or maybe that's what Lupin's writing to him about, is what's in the Daily Prophet. Maybe that's what it is. Because that would be innocuous enough. Anyway, I did want to uh, wrap up the non-spoiler with... Um, it was just a very interesting way to end the chapter. With... Mm. Usually we're clued into everything because Harry's noticing it, or witnessing it himself. And in this end of the chapter, we get clued into something Harry specifically missed, which we don't get that often. And it was just a weird, uh, different take on the writing, I guess. She's giving us a lot more Neville, like, this early on than I remembered her mm -hmm. giving us. Essentially, the chapter ends by pointing out that if Harry paid more attention, he'd notice that he's not the only one staying awake tonight because Neville's not snoring. And it's just like, oh, it's an, I mean, yes, it's an interesting fact that Neville's still awake. But it's like something that just pokes at you enough. Like, there's a reason why Neville has so much love. And I feel like it's those little pokes that she included a lot more of than I realized. Like, it's not just Matthew Lewis having his glow up. It, it is literally like J.K. Rowling just put in all these little pokes that. That Neville's one of her, like, core six characters that she talks about it's like i just want to like engulf him and hug neville needs a hug in this chapter yeah um the class with moody shook him a little bit i liked the there was a line before this one when ron and harry i felt like had a very good like boy check-in with neville and harry appreciated moody because moody having a cup of tea and giving him the herbology book was something that Professor Lupin would have done. Yeah. Like, she is just setting us up to love Modi. Like, all the Lupin comparisons, like... Well, he's just been so cool, and we've only... Yeah. This is, like, the third time we've seen him, and he's just been cool every single time. No. It'll be interesting to see where Mad High Moody goes from here. Yeah. And with that, we shall have the non-spoiler and talk about spoilers. So, <laughs> uh, we will be right back. 
All right, so we're back with the spoiler section, and we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot to dig into here. I did want to mention really quick uh, and ask you, there's a moment where Crouch says that there's... Well, Moody. Crouch. Crouch says that there's a lot he has to teach in one year. And Ron pipes in with, you're not staying? Do you think Crouch slipped up there, or do you think he just doesn't care one way or the other? I think that might... I just always assumed it was an actual real detail that he gleaned from Mad-Eye Moody when he, like, took over, like, locked him up and stuff and got him... Because... Oh, you think it was a crouch detail that is Moody... Okay. Yeah. Okay. You don't think it was just... Because I I don't really see Moody having wanted to stay more than one year. I do think, like, the favor to Dumbledore... I think maybe he he even found it out from Dumbledore, like, maybe when he arrived to the school. I'm assuming him and Dumbledore... Thanks for doing this favor for me. That's possible. Uh, I just didn't know if it was like, ooh, this is an example of Crouch maybe just like... It'd be kind of a random slip up. Because I don't think... I mean, do we think Crouch cares about teaching the kids? Like, does he have a great desire to teach them a lot in only one year? Well, that kind of brings us to one of the other things we want to talk about, which is you mentioned how Moody's a great teacher. And I'm like, well, is... Would Moody, would real Alistair Moody be a good teacher, or is Barty Crouch Jr., the Ravenclaw that he was, actually have a little bit of a thing for teaching? So I do think real Moody would have been a good teacher, because we know that he taught Tonks when she, like, he was her trainer mentor mentor when she became an Auror. So I, I think there's something about him... Do I think he would have been as good of a teacher as Barty Crouch Jr. is being? Probably not. See, uh, I don't know. No, that was that was the thing. I think you hit it on the head with the mentoring Tonks thing. But I don't know if that's a great example of Moody's teaching ability. We know Tonks is. I'm not saying Tonks isn't talented or skilled as an orc. Obviously, she is. But because she's so talented and smart. I don't know how much Moody is like, I think Moody's just literally more as a mentor of, of an or. I don't know that he's teaching or other, anything other than constant vigilance. Other than that, I don't know <laughs> that he's imparting a whole lot of particular like wisdom on her per se. Well, I think he has a lot of wisdom to share sure. yeah. for defense against the dark arts like i don't think he could have gone in and taught any other subject i'm seeing it as more of like an experience thing like here's what i've seen here's what i've done here's what i've done in this situation he has to know the magic that you need in those situations i guess i'm giving tonks the benefit of the doubt that she knows a lot of that magic oh i'm more thinking about the students now oh okay yeah yeah, so like yes like Tonks didn't need as much from him as, like, obviously the students would need. Right, exactly. So, like, he would tell her, like, yeah, you get into this situation, like, from my experience, this is what you need to do for Tonks. But, like, for the students, I think he would have some, like, real magic life experience to share with them fighting the dark arts. Okay. I just don't think he would have been as good at imparting it, maybe, as Ravenclaw Barty Crouch Jr. is. But, like, I also... Do you think it's a patience thing? Do you think Barty yes. Crouch Jr. has a little bit more patience? Obviously, to... he has the patience 
like all the patients in the world. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's fair. Um, he so is playing. Yes. He's really good at playing a long game. And yeah, the real Man Eye Moody, I don't <laughs> think has any patience whatsoever. So yeah, that is probably a good point on your part. Okay. But I, my question is, how much of this teaching that Crouch is doing do you think is genuine, or is it all like? Yeah. The total, like, he, I just, like, I'm probably totally overthinking every single thing he does. It's fun, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. But literally, I'm like, when he enlarges the spider, I'm like, are you only enlarging the spider so you can further torture Neville? Or, like, oh. do you feel any guilt whatsoever towards Neville? Or are you getting a real kick out of how much you are okay. clearly bothering Neville? Did you invite Neville back to your classroom for a cup of tea so you can get even more of a high? torture or do you Ooh. feel any guilt there, there's a lot of places to go with this so let, let me backtrack it just a second there's a lot of trauma yeah in that room that moody's teaching so you have obviously harry with the killing curse yes. you have neville with the cruciatus curse because his parents the, mm -hmm. the alice and frank uh were tortured uh and then you have ron uh to i guess a lesser extent but still very real with the whole spider yes. aspect of it very real very real just not as um, mortal danger-esque yeah, than the other Not as, two. like, I was raised without parents. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, a lot of trauma. And I kind of broached the question earlier of, like, do you think this was always the plan for Moody? Or do you think he specifically looked at his roster and goes, I have Neville Longbottom and Harry Potter in the same freaking class. I mean, this is, like, my point. Like, I don't know. Like, I can't tell, like... He must have had a similar lesson to this for the twins and Lee Jordan because they were so excited about his class in the last chapter when they were telling Harry and Ron. Like, I can't imagine what would have been more exciting than this. But, like, yeah, I don't know. To your, to your point, then, about him kind of taking Neville under his wing, and is it a more sadistic twist on it? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, too, because there's like, so he was obviously one of the members that cornered and tortured. So is he just like reliving that through Neville? Like, I like so does he feel any guilt? Because obviously his plan didn't work. They so, weren't able to bring back Voldemort by torturing them. Right. So here's my, I guess, quick two cents on it is... Uh, I don't think he feels guilt. I think he feels zero guilt about torturing Frank and Alice. That being said, I almost feel as though he's disassociated the two things mm -hmm. and is like, that was a job that I did for a purpose. I'm not... He's like... From what I gather from this... From specifically this chapter is, I think he separated the two things and is like, Frank and Alice were a job. And I did that job, and I did it well. I don't know that he's... Obviously, he's sadistic in a lot of different ways, but I don't think he's as sadistic as, let's say, the Lestranges, who were yeah. also involved. Oh, yeah, agreed. They were doing for it, sure. yes, yeah. as a job, but they were doing it for pure yeah. joy and entertainment. I don't know that Barty Crouch gets the pure joy and entertainment out of it. He was doing it for a purpose. They yes. were doing it mostly for the sadistic yes. joy. Yes, so I think he's literally able to take that and separate Neville out, like, that was a job, that's done. 
this is Neville Longbottom, their son. Yeah, I know what I did, but I'm not holding any of the past issues there against or for Neville. See, I kind of sort of disagree. I don't know that he necessarily feels guilt. I agree with you there. But I do think maybe some part of him sympathizes with Neville. Because, so, later on, when he's, like, telling his whole tale, he talks about how he relates to Voldemort and that they both had disappointing fathers. Sure. So, like, I think maybe he could see, like, Neville didn't have disappointing parents, but he could maybe, like, recognize, like, all right, he didn't have disappointing parents, but he basically had a disappointing childhood because I know for a fact his parents were not there. Like, he has that knowledge where many other teachers probably don't. Sure. So he knew. Uh, I don't know. At the end of the day, he probably just didn't care, and he probably just wanted to make sure Neville got that book. But I think what I'm more it's, intrigued by... It's another job, by, and you can separate the two. But what I'm more intrigued by is wondering, is he kind of, like, upping his showmanship up a little bit to poke at Neville and make it worse for Neville? Like, he already knows it's going to be bad for Neville. Is he finding joy? Does he maybe have slightly more of that sadistic streak like, streak like Bellatrix has than we maybe credit him for? And is he finding joy in poking at Neville and showing him the Cruciatus curse and being like, yeah, this is what I did to your parents? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that he... I don't get that he's taking joy out of it. But I will give you that that sadistic part of him has to be there because there's no way you do that fully knowing Neville Longbottom is sitting in front of you. So it has to be there. You're, I think that's where the enlargement right about that. of the spider comes in. I think maybe that spider doesn't get enlarged if Neville's not sitting there. Maybe. I. So I, I fully agree with you that he definitely has... You don't follow Voldemort if you don't have a well, little... Yeah. A little... How can I say this in a PG world? If you're not a little... <laughs> Messed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You have to be a little off to follow a guy doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And you have to be attracted to that kind of thought yeah. to even follow him in the first place. Mm -hmm. And follow him as loyally sure. as this man does. So that's definitely present. I, I guess I'm giving him the credit of being able to put some stuff to the... S compartmentalize a little bit uh, for the sake of a job or a duty. Yeah. I guess. I don't know if I'm saying that the right way. You could say the same thing for, for Harry, by the way. Yeah. I mean, he fully knows the history. Is that why he brings up that he's the only one who survives? And then Harry just goes through this whole mental, like, landslide of his parents' death. Well, there's, there's that psychological shenanigans that he's pulling on Harry. Also, but Barty Crouch Jr. himself has got to be in two different mindsets. One, this is the kid that ruined my whole life. True. Because he took down the Dark Lord, and I've spent the last however many years, yeah. you know, struggling because yeah. of this. Whether it's in Azkaban or Imperius or whatever. Yeah. I've been in the gutter because of this kid. But secondly, and I think this is pulling at him. We're getting into the psychology of Barty Crouch Jr. and it's great. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's probably that. Uh, dislike or hatred that he probably has for him. Mm -hmm. But also pulling with it because, and this is me shining some light on the Ravenclaw part of him, there's probably got to be some curiosity as to how the heck did he this kid 
foil the Dark Lord. And there's probably that in in that statement of like, the only person to survive this is sitting in front of me. And there's probably a thought in his head going, how did you do that? I mean, Voldemort himself asked that question. So you know Barty Hart Jr. has to be asking the uh, question. Of course. Yeah. And that's probably, he's probably as curious as he is angry. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, I want to know the answer. And I want to get to know this kid to see if I could impart any, like, gain any wisdom. Which, again, the patience and control that he has, like, to be that close to this kid all year. Like, mm-hmm. he builds a relationship with Harry. Very much so. Yeah. And to not just ever lash out at Harry, it's more than a lot of people would be And that's because do. he's got a bigger... He knows he has a bigger right. role to play, both Harry and him, and a bigger job to do. There's a job that needs to get done. I think you put somebody other than Barty Hart Jr. in that role. It's not as successful. Like... Voldemort doesn't come back at the end of this book in the way that he comes back. Yeah. If somebody other than Barty Karch Jr. is given this job. Like, uh, yeah, you say that I'm trying to run through a roster of competent Death Eaters. And I'm like... Not very many. Snape would be the only one that could do the job because he does the job. But I don't think Snape job. has the control over his feelings towards Harry oh, yeah. to be no, I'll give you that. That's an added Barty curveball. Barty Jr. And, yeah. Sure, sure. I'll give you that added. Intelligence-wise, he's, he's the only one. Yeah. There's that curveball. I'll give yeah. you that. Uh, but other competent Death Eaters, I'll get this name out of the way real quick, so you don't harp on me too much for it. But Dahlhoff, I don't think can do it. I don't think Yaxley would be able to do it. Definitely not. Yaxley's too much of, like, a brawny, like... I mean, he's trusted to do some big jobs down the road, but I I don't think this is something he's suited for. Caro's? No. No, definitely not. Uh, uh, now I'm starting to run through some... Crab, Goyle? No. Um, Wormtail, no. Well, yeah. No, Wormtail has the, like, sneakiness. I just don't think he has the nerve. He doesn't have the nerve. To impersonate Moody for that long. I don't think he has the nerve. And I'm not saying Peter Pettigrew is not intelligent. Because he is. But I don't think he has Barty Crouch Jr.'s talent for wordplay as much. Mm. Like, Barty Crouch Jr. knows what he's saying. He's knows the power of his words, and he knows how to, like... Well, and the subtlety and the ways that he leads Harry through the Triwizard Tournament. Right. The whole time. <laughs> that but... you also have to be confident enough to, you yourself, be able to get through that tournament. Oh, yeah. And there's, to Barty Crouch's credit, there's very few that could really do it. Mm-hmm. So you have to be a competent, talented witch or wizard to navigate your way through the tournament. In any circumstance. So that takes a certain level of ability. So again, I'm sorry we're gushing about Barty Crouch Jr. again. But I, I don't, the point is, I don't see many, if any, like Lucius couldn't do it, like Death Eaters that would be able to pull this off. I think the same Goyle way. could do it. You literally just said he couldn't, like two minutes ago. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, before we get on too long about this, uh, there was something from the non-spoilers that I wanted to bring back and discuss, and that's, we're in the chapter, The Unforgivable Curses. Yes. So, uh, we've just talked about some of the trauma that was in the room. These Unforgivable Curses we've seen play out over the course of the books. And obviously the killing curse is, gets the most 
publicity because, you know, Lily and James, uh, among many others. The Imperious Curse, uh, I think you mentioned this in The Mass Player, doesn't get talked about nearly as often. Uh, hmm. Yet there are examples of it being used, uh, particularly later on in, in Book 7, it's used pretty heavily because you mm -hmm. get pious techniques being yep. the puppet uh, mm -hmm. minister of magic yep. uh, being imperious. You get lots of people. You get Stan Shunpike is oh. is imperious. Uh, a lot of, they fill out the Death Eater ranks with a lot of imperious people. people yep. And uh, Harry himself uses it a couple times. Yes, he does. That's how I was, yeah. So uh, I, I remember uh, the first time he used it and I was like, oh, He's is actually the first person it. he uses it on is the uh, goblin. Bogrog, right? right? Yes. Yeah, it's the goblin at, uh, and it's Griphook who coerces him to, yep, to, do, to it. do it. Yeah, and that's how they get into uh, Gringotts mm -hmm. um, during that whole uh, roller coaster ride of, <laughs> quite literally, of an experience. But yeah, so Harry Nothing himself. Nothing will ever so. shake me as much as when Harry tries to use the Cruciatus curse, though. That's in book five, right? Is when he first tries to use that. In the department, not in the Department of Mysteries, but in the in the yes. Ministry of Magic. But I was thinking more because he all he kind of successfully uses it in Book Seven mm. when they spit on Minnie, mm. and that's what really like pushes him to it, actually successfully use it. I think that's why it sticks out to me because like he actually causes pain with it. Moody does describe a little, not so much with the Cruciatus curse, but with the killing curse. He's like, if yeah. you all tried to do it right now. I wouldn't even get as much as a nosebleed. Because the trick with this is, you have to mean it. And Bellatrix tells him that when he tries to use it in book five. Which is great. And I love yeah. that part of the, the uh, oh no, I guess that's not in the movie. I love that part in the book with Bellatrix doing it. In the movie, it's Voldy himself. going Because uh, he's trying to use the Cruciatus curse on Bellatrix. Um, in the movie. And Voldy says that to him? And, yeah, Voldemort's making his entrance. And he just comes in, like, his, like, uh, vapor-esque self. Comes in over Harry's, like, shoulder and is like, you've got to mean it. Like, do it. You've got to mean it. Um, which was an interesting kind of play yeah. as well. I like it better with Belichick saying it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it fits. So, it's, um, it's interesting when Harry tries to use them. It's always, like, a jolt awake of like oh man he's he never tries to use about a cadaver right i don't think so i can't recall him ever yeah. once um i can recall him expelling everything <laughs> like a bunch in mortal peril but number one <laughs> snape taught him um <laughs> but yeah uh but i i think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the cruciatus curse a little bit more here mm -hmm. because neville is focused so much in this chapter and he's obviously very shaken after the lesson and it is because frank and alice were um tortured to the point of insanity with it which none of our characters know at this point nope um until book five at saint mungo's when they run into everybody knows at yeah. that point but you yeah. were right harry finds out yeah yeah and i can only imagine you know, we never really, we haven't really talked about Neville, I guess, in this sense, but Neville has it hard in I a lot of ways. I think in some ways he has it harder than Harry. Like, to see your parents, 
But to not have your parents know you and you not to know your real parents. And everybody tell you what your parents were have and your are. Grandmother force you to use your father's wand. Yeah. Yeah. There there's there's a lot to it cuz his parents were and are heroes. They fought mm-hmm. valiantly. They were gifted orers. They talented witch and wizard. And he's been told that. You know, and he doesn't know that. He can't see that from what they currently are, which is heartbreaking. And you just get told story upon story. And it's similar to Harry in that you get told story upon story about how great your parents were. It's different because all Harry has is that imagination of how great their parents, his parents were. When Neville can literally go and, and see them and not see that they're those people anymore. And that's got to be hard. And it's got to be hard for his grandmother, too, for that matter. Like, Of course. She was Frank. Frank's mother, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's... She plays it... She built up a different shield. She built up the shield she of, like, my son was a the hero. old school shield. Yeah, Nobody yes. sees your grief. Nobody. You be strong. You never suck it up. There's no reason to be sad because they were... Heroes. Heroes. You know, and... She puts a lot of that on a Neville, like, why aren't you this? Why aren't you that? Yeah. Neville's Neville's got it tough. And yes. and he goes to school. He literally dropped out of a window because he hadn't shown signs of magic yet. And none of and no one understands. Which I think is the hardest and most uh sad part about it. Is they make fun of Neville, they tease Neville, but they don't know and, th- and this goes to like you never know okay. what someone's yeah. Struggle is, you don't know what someone is going through. You don't know what cards the other person has been dealt. So try to be kind. Try to be kind, people. <laughs> Seriously. But Kindness is an option. Take it. Every uh, time. Neville doesn't volunteer any of this information either. Probably thought Hogwarts would be the place he could come to. Nobody would know. He could finally maybe find himself, be himself. And then he just finds a whole bunch of cruel people. It's a hard situation because, you know... You, you find out later, Neville is very proud of his parents and very proud of what they stood for and what they've done. He also might be, you know, he's a kid. He's got conflicting emotions. He might be a little bit embarrassed that he doesn't have parents that can send him off to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Or he doesn't, you know, or they're not really functioning members of society. Might be a little embarrassed by that. Might be. Well, I I remember in book five when the trio does meet Alice because Alice shuffles out after him to give him the gum wrapper. Uh And I remember there's a line of something like Neville looks at them defiantly, just daring them to make fun of him. It's like he expects people to make fun of her appearance, her her manner. And it's like we know Harry Ron and Hermione would not do that. There are people at Hogwarts who would absolutely do that. Yes. I, I was about to use Draco as an example, but let's be, let's be, yes, Draco would. Yes. Other Gryffindors would. I was just about to say, he's not the only one, and yeah. he's not the only one that would, you know, be in his own house. Like, there'd be people in his own house that would probably do that. So, it's a tough position for Neville to be in, and I almost want, like, that epilogue of, like, Harry, like, for example, in, um... I had that Quidditch World Cup, which almost acted as an extended epilogue. 
that, the Quidditch World Cup uh, add-on that I uh, spoke about a couple chapters ago. When you get like Harry Potter and Ginny and whatever are at the Quidditch World Didn't Cup. Didn't they try and say they have marital problems? As a Reed Skeeter article, yeah. I know, but, I, like, but yes. the whole thing just made me angry. Yes, but I want that adult Harry, Hermione, Ron discussion with Neville of just like, or that it doesn't even have to be an adult. It could be just after book seven of just being like, like I want that moment for Neville of just having like, you've lived up to your parents' memory. You've Well, I think, you know, cutting off Nagini's head, wearing the sorting hat as it catches on fire. I, I would like <laughs> yeah. to think maybe Neville realizes that without a conversation no. even being had. Uh, but that that. But it would be nice for them to acknowledge, like. Yeah, because they didn't have those conversations. As kids. As kids, like yeah. through the DA or anything like that, when you could have those conversations. If Harry knew or Hermione knew, I think they'd have the tact in those moments to be like, "No, Neville, what your parents did was." I'm sorry, you're trying to say Ron wouldn't have the tact. You almost can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> he would try, and it, and then Hermione would so have to awkward. correct him. <laughs> yeah, Hermione <laughs> would have to course correct real quick. <laughs> but or then Harry, Hermione would then yell at Ron and then Harry would have the, the moment. I was Neville. just gonna say, yeah. Basically <laughs> Harry and Neville should have that moment by themselves. Sure. <laughs> but no, I just kind I kinda want that moment of just Harry and Neville to just be there being like you I know, think it was had. I'm sure it was. But like our parents were heroes in the first wizarding were and now you know, we've made that impact in our own way here. I think it would be a cool scene. But Neville's Neville's been through a lot at a very young age. Again, I just want to smother him in hugs. He needs If that. that's what he wants. He needs that. But do you have anything? We've covered a lot of ground. We have. We have. I don't know that we can possibly have a conversation <laughs> as meaningful as this one. Hey, ending on Neville's never a bad thing. Neville, uh, we have had some Neville conversations already on this podcast. We will continue to have a bunch Absolutely. more. Absolutely. So, uh, big Neville fans here at Hogwarts of Podcast. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, let us know what... We've talked about a lot of things. Let us know your thoughts on Barty Crouch, the teacher, on his lessons here. What do you think of him kind of going over unforgivable curses? Let us know what you think Lupin and Moody would teach upper and lower level students at Hogwarts. <laughs> We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, we love hearing from you guys on... Uh, Twitter, on Instagram, so let us know those thoughts. And we'll be back with kind of a cool chapter, chapter 15. Bobaton and Durmstrang. <laughs> or Bobatons and Durmstrang. <laughs> we'll be right back with those next week. Please join us. I'm sure it'll be entertaining. <laughs> we'll see you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.